We are going to open our Bibles together this morning to the account of Christ's crucifixion found in Mark, chapter 15. We're going to read a fairly large passage of scripture this morning, starting at verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered them, You have said so. The chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he had perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, put on his own clothes, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming up from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who, destroy the, you, who, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
So also the chief priests and scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we might see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, limo sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. We as a church are a church who regularly focus on the cross of Christ. We don't just talk about the cross on Good Friday. Many of our homegrown songs are cross-centred. And we as a church, together as a congregation, intentionally take communion together every week. And yet, as I have sought to prepare my own heart for Easter, and indeed to share a message um, that is suitable for Good Friday, I became deeply aware of just how quickly my focus gets distracted from the cross. Should we ever get to the point as people who are certain of our sin and, and certain of our salvation, should we ever get to the point where we move past the cross being our focus, perhaps to move on to more mature matters like how to live out our faith? The blunt answer is no. We never move on from the cross. It is not merely a revelation for our early Christian walk that we then move past as we become more mature. And I've felt challenged this week as I have prepared for Easter. I'm not sure that I could always say with the same conviction that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I read a quote by John Stott this week and it really got my attention. He says, The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough for the sparks to fall on us. We have to get near enough. Do I get near enough? Do you get near enough? 
The account of Christ's crucifixion we've read in Mark today interestingly describes a number of people who are passing by or bystanders standing at a distance. But today, Good Friday 2018, I believe the invitation to us is to not be a people who are standing at a distance, but to be amongst those who get near enough to the cross for its sparks to fall on us. We live a very, in a very sanitised world, be that through the hyper-political correctness of trying to avoid causing offence with our words, or the prolific use of hand sanitizer to avoid germs, or the way that sanitized packaging of our fresh meat is set out in the supermarket to avoid the true reality of the process from paddock to table. We prefer things to be palatable, don't we? And I was having a conversation with Andrew during the week. Um, he and Ali and the girls had a road trip for um, his sister's wedding to Victoria and they passed a number of, of those big road trains on their trip filled with animals. And what ensued in their car was the coarse realities of paddock to plate as to why these animals were in the truck. And it reminded me that as a little girl, I had this sudden realisation that I was eating lamb and there were all these beautiful, cute, little furry, woolly lambs in all the fields around our village in Oxfordshire in England. And was I eating them? No, my mum assured me. I was eating meat lambs. That was an entirely different animal to the woolly lambs that I saw playing in the fields. Oh, the sanitised relief. But should we sanitise the punishment that brought us peace? Do we inadvertently try to make the cross more palatable? We wear cross charms, cross hoodies and T-shirts, choose to use cross bookmarks, put cross symbols on our car, doodle crosses in our notebooks and journals, and even some of the Hartley girls might doodle them on their arms. Don't get me wrong, these things are not bad in and of themselves and are a constant reminder to us of the central nature of the cross of Christ in our lives as Christians. But do they allow us to gloss over the unsanitized truth that the cross was an instrument of torture upon which many criminals and our innocent Lord and Saviour died a brutal death. Unlike the first disciples, as I prayed this morning, we are a post-resurrection people. And so we have the benefit of hindsight. As we consider the crucifixion this morning, we know Resurrection Sunday is coming. And yet... We cannot rush past the cross just simply to get to resurrection. We can't skip over brutal death simply to get to life or to skirt around suffering straight to overcoming 
if we are truly going to get near enough to the cross for its sparks to fall on us, we cannot gloss over its brutality and make it more palatable by simply focusing on what was achieved for us on the cross. The cross of Christ is about more than its substitutionary benefits to us. It is true that there was a great exchange that took place for us on the cross. Our sinfulness for his righteousness, his wounding for our healing, death for life, cursed to blessed, punished to forgiven. But this morning we're not merely invited to view what we have gained, to look at the cross for what, it was, what was achieved for us. We are actually invited into Jesus' death, unsanitized and unpalatable. Paul declared in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We ourselves pass through a kind of death, death to ourselves, death to sin, into life, life in Jesus. We want to remember this morning that our path to freedom and life is through his death. Jesus, by choice and in obedience to his father, suffered a brutal and torturous death on an apparatus made by the Romans to extract the most painful process possible. Even before he got to the crucifixion, Jesus was so badly beaten, the flesh and the muscles on his back so shredded, he was exhausted, dehydrated and bruised that he didn't even have the strength to carry the crossbeam of his cross. He was exposed, most likely fully naked, he was hung, nailed through his wrists and his feet, publicly on display amongst criminals as an innocent and sinless man. Every breath that he drew and every word that he uttered caused unimaginable pain to his body. He was betrayed, mocked, taunted, ridiculed and spat on. You see, when you get up close to the cross, there is absolutely nothing you can gloss over and sanitize. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, you will agree that it can be hard to get those images out of your head. Centuries before Christ went to the cross for us, Isaiah wrote this, and you find it in Isaiah 53. I'm reading from the message paraphrase this morning. We looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he'd brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins, he took the punishment that brought us peace. Through his bruises, we get healed. We all, like sheep, have wandered off and gotten lost. 
We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried. He was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. He was beaten bloody for my sins and for yours. There is no glossing over it. It is uncomfortable, confronting and unpalatable. But as we accept the invitation to draw near to the unsanitized cross, we find the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to leave you with two realities, or sparks, if you like, to ignite the fire in you. Number one, we do not worship a scarless Jesus. You cannot get up close to the cross and ignore the scars. There is not one single aspect of our human suffering that our king cannot and does not identify with. Jesus suffered physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, socially. He chose this path of suffering for us and he is near us in our suffering. The writer to Hebrews says in chapter 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This morning, as we choose to avoid glossing over his suffering, we are faced with the amazing reality that he does not gloss over ours. And the second reality or spark that I want to leave you with this morning is that the cross reveals the unrelenting love of Christ for us. Near the cross, we discover the unsanitized truth of Jesus' exposure and vulnerability as he willingly gave up his rightful place to be shamed, brutalized and put to death for us. His overwhelming love was demonstrated with everything that he had. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of the complete lack of a solution within ourselves, an inability to get ourselves out of our own sinful mess. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 say this, This is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. The love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we are near the cross, 
we cannot fail to see his love poured out for us. I was wondering if I could get the worship team to come back up. I want to leave you with this thought this morning. When we're near enough to the cross, we will be like the centurion that we read this morning. A Gentile, a man who despite not knowing what Jesus' ministry or purpose was, as he stood facing him, seeing his death, not his resurrection, his response was one of worship and of witness. Truly, this man is the Son of God. Truly, this man is the Son of God. My exhortation to us all this morning is let us be a people who get near enough to the unsanitized cross for the sparks to fall on us and to respond in worship and with witness. Amen.